0: Hello and welcome to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez,
1: and I'm Steve Edelman.
0: Welcome to the very end of 2023, Steve.
1: Woo-hoo! We we've made it. <laughs> um, I'm exhausted, and having just gotten off airplanes, I'm about to get back onto airplanes.
0: <laughs> so, so, friends, we are recording this on December 20th. Uh, hooray! And we thought it would be fun to finish out the year with sort of our our, our top takes or top event stories, things that made an impression on us over this past year. So, you know, Steve, I would say one of the, the biggest things that I have seen that make the news and seem to be something we need to pay attention to in the future is how weather and climate are affecting our events. Um, I mean, some of the ones that got, uh a lot of attention were like the mud at Burning Man, which maybe was more news story than actual. I don't know. I've seen sort of mixed things on that. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I mean, I've talked to a bunch of people who were there at that Burning Man. So, you know, let, let, let's just, let's address that one because we want yeah. to be fair to our friends. Um, that was such a non-story story for yes. the people
0: that were there. <laughs> exactly.
1: For the people that were there, it was a non story because Burning Man is pretty fabulous and people are engaged in sharing and helping. And so, you know, unlike the rest of the world where people would have turned their backs and gone into their own individual homes and, you know, wished their neighbors good luck with their wet basements, at Burning Man, people helped. And so that was a uniquely well suited environment for the ravages of climate change, they handled it. For everybody who wasn't on Playa, it was this whole catastrophe. But if you talk to someone who was actually there, no, it was fine. It was just wet.
0: Yeah, it was muddy. And the pictures were fantastic. I mean, it looked remarkable. But we've had lots of other stories about weather and impact. For example, on a sad note, the, the death of a audience member at a taylor swift concert in rio and um i saw us due to heat yes um and i saw like last night in the middle of night when you're scrolling through social media i saw a video from argentina of a giant a giant inflated bear sort of rolling through the crowd like the day marshmallow man i'm sorry I've, the image is just surreal, guys. <laughs> Google it. Maybe we'll get the link in the show notes. Um, but but it, the end of that video shows a stage collapse, which is you know something we're we're really familiar with, um, all due to wind and weather. You know we we continue to see smoke impacts. You know we've forgotten that at the beginning of this year events as far away from Canada as Greenville, South Carolina were canceled due to the smoke in the air. And so that was that was a nationwide impact from something that's happening in other places. So you know, climate continues to be something that, that pings along.
1: Yeah. And and you know, part of this podcast is going to, you know, naturally drop in plugs for things that the event safety alliance is doing. So here's the first one. Um, Come to the weather we, summit. Right. We we do a weather <laughs> event every year. Uh, we will do one in early 2024 details to be announced.
0: Um, and to be transparent, that's not where I was going. But yeah, absolutely. We this is why we do out, this as a
1: team, Danielle. Right.
0: We have, we have you know, Dealing with how climate impacts our events is is something critical that we all need to make sure it's 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 not a black swan. It's something is foreseeable.
1: It's foreseeable. There you go. <laughs> first mention of a legal term. Steve gets happy. Um, yeah, and you know while it's kind of funny to see a flying inflatable bear, they did bury the lead in the news story, which is there was a stage roof collapse and you know significant owies resulted. So, yep. you know, while we're giggling about the Ghostbusters imagery, by the way, there was a stage roof collapse. There we was have a stage not roof. solved that problem.
0: Mm-mm. Yeah. And uh, I know there were some injuries. I did not see anything in this news story about fatalities. I do know that the concert was canceled and the grounds were evacuated based on the news story that I saw. So anyway, uh, moving on. You know, something we talked about before, words, crowd behavior, right?
1: We have talked about crowd behavior. So in my personal greatest hits of so what I did when preparing for this podcast, I looked through some presentations that I've given to see what did other people want me to talk about. And one of them was crowd behavior, because there was this wacky period during the summer of 2023 when fans were throwing or handing objects um, up onto the stage during the performance Um, from, you know, a fan handing Pink a bag of her mother's ashes. Um, That was weird. Um, Pink said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this, Um, which I think was, Actually, the exact opposite of what she meant to say, which is, I know exactly what to do with this and get it away from me. But it was sort of hilarious for people who were not pink on stage. Um, several artists had things thrown at their heads, such as mm-hmm. a cell phone and a fan uh, bracelet, uh, both of which hit artists in the face. So that was so, weird. So, so I have
0: uh, in a in a similar thing of I was talking just. Casually, with my um, card management providers, s- staffing provider, and something they're seeing a lot, especially with concerts with younger people, um, water bottles throwing water bottles. And some water bottles now are metal. Um so that becomes a a significant impact if if a metal water bottles. So I know we've implemented a policy recently where we don't allow metal water bottles at events with higher security concerns. It's like, you can bring a plastic water bottle, but you leave the ammunition water bottle at home. <laughs> so that's, and we, you know, they were just mentioning it to me offhand. It wasn't uh, me with a, a probing question.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, it raises a whole, it, ra- it creates a whole rabbit hole of mm-hmm. Food and beverage and merchandise, kind of the economic lifeblood of live events these days, but all of that stuff has the potential to become a projectile, or right. if it falls on the ground, a trip hazard. And
0: But you can't not give people water, then you right, end you, up, it's too,
1: no, you, you know. Right, so do you prohibit people from bringing things like their cell phone, which you know, on the one hand, can be thrown at an artist's face, which happened in June in New York. Um, But that's how a lot of people pay for their stuff. Um, It's
0: it's where their tickets
1: are. (laughs) Right, it's where their tickets are. You know, it's where their credit card is, you know. So that's not a great option. Um, If you want to prohibit people from bringing things that can fall on the ground and become trip hazards, or even if somebody steps on them the wrong way, you know, cause the crowd to think that there is an active shooter in the building. Um, Yeah. How do you do that? Um, And what sort of accommodations do you then have to make so that people stay properly fed and watered? You know,
0: I was, I was listening to someone speak on this and, and in terms of the throwing thing, first of all, we have records of people throwing things at, at people on stages for, Thousands of years, I, hundred at least hundreds of years. This is not new. Um, There was just this weird spasm in
1: June and July, mm -hmm.
0: and and hundreds of thousands of people have gone to shows, and we have a story about one person throwing a phone. So I think that that's still pretty unlikely. You know, most people's lives are fairly entwined in their phones. but but the, the food and beverage thing, on the other hand, I would say in terms of crowd behavior, I've also seen an improvement in some crowd behavior. It's like the flip side. People are so happy to support their relatives, their family, to see this artist that they have just dreamed of seeing, you know. And, and so I think a lot of it has to do with the profile of who's there and, and what their motivations are. And sometimes I feel like some of the throwing is an expression of frustration, not all of it, obviously, Um, which I wonder if some of that comes back to circumstances as opposed to, you know, and I wonder if if in some of our crowd management, risk management stuff, if there's a way to see how likely, you know, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but do you see where I'm going with that? I, I do.
1: I mean, the, the conversation that I had after the presentation that I gave about people throwing stuff at artists on stage is, is this a problem that requires us to take active steps to solve it? And, you know, the the underlying question there is, is this... Is this a new phenomenon that's going to continue that requires action, or is this just some weird thing that's currently happening that's not going to keep happening? Essentially, is it a black swan? And the consensus of the people that I talked to was, this is a weird thing that's not going to continue to happen in such large numbers that it requires some comprehensive response, particularly since the comprehensive response would yield a whole bunch of consequences we're not prepared to deal with.
0: Yeah. So in other words it depends
1: <laughs> it, well in other words it it depends but also be careful about proposing solutions to problems that you don't fully understand exactly or, or that you're not prepared to fully address because every action has consequences even actions intended to help with the best of intentions um the, the other thing that I'll say about that and you know this is probably more about me than you Danielle or any of you gentle podcast listeners I think that there's always the possibility that we just don't understand what's going on in our crowds. Um, I say that with utter humility because, oh God, I had a milestone birthday this year and um, I'm very self-conscious about that. And there is the possibility that I simply am not completely up on what young people are doing these days. I'm not old but I'm not living on Instagram and TikTok. And I'm just, there is the possibility that I would miss something. And the example that I will give without going into any detail is, I was on an airplane two nights ago, watching a movie that everybody else had seen during the summer. And I had just missed it because I was too busy doing other things. And there was a word dropped in the middle of a conversation in the Barbie movie that I have (laughs) seen in deposition transcripts with lawyers accusing other people of, you know, inciting the crowd because the artist used this word, and then I heard it in the Barbie movie. And it made me think, oh my god, maybe we are just not paying attention to our own audiences. Maybe we are misunderstanding the way they mean things. So, you know, I'm very slow to accuse people of malevolence, um, I think often we just make mistakes or we misunderstand. And this I think is potentially one of them. So as I was thinking to circle back on, you know, people throwing stuff and, you know, leaving artists with bags of their mom's ashes. Um, I don't know why that was briefly a trend, but it struck me as this is briefly a trend. Yes, Danielle, of course, you're right. We have seen this before. I actually had a case about somebody throwing a vodka bottle at an artist years ago. Um, So I recognize this, but it didn't seem like a problem that required a solution so much as letting it die out because it was never really a thing.
0: Yeah, I can see taking it into account when you have significant, like I can think of events where you would consider what would happen if somebody threw something and how you would deal with it. You know, if you have a high-profile political, some some sort of high-profile political event or something where your security concerns are different, I can, I can see people analyzing it. I don't, you know, but as you said, most of the solutions for this are really extreme and fairly invasive and wouldn't do much to engender a good crowd will, which I think is, is a big piece of this, you know. I do wonder if part of the frustration that we were seeing had to do with people being out of practice, it being harder than they remembered to do things, you know? So mm, I think that's a a wait and see kind of problem. That
1: that, that actually segues to something else that was a significant development in 2023. Um, Another plug for good things that the event safety Alliance is doing, by the way, when, when you hear us talking about that, that should be your cue, podcast listeners, to think, ooh, I should perhaps check out the website, see what they're doing, see if maybe I can get involved in any of this cool stuff. Anyway, um, one of the cool things that happened during this year was um, the publication of an event security American national standard. And Woo-hoo. yeah, woo woo. <laughs> You know, these things are a lot of work. They require a lot of smart people to contribute their valuable time. Um, And it's super gratifying when they come out because our industry, thank goodness, is very lightly regulated by laws, which means if there's going to be guidance, it has to be created by us. And so consensus industry standards, that's the term, consensus industry standards are really important anyway. We created an event security consensus industry standard, and the point that I'm getting to at long last is one of the key issues in the event security standard was the importance of guest services, meaning just having people in the crowd, people who are involved, you know, a visible presence, people who are um, who are essentially asking, how are you doing? Can I help? Um, Is there something that you need that, you know, I can direct you to? Guest services diffuses so many situations that if not diffused, turn into more traditional, more punitive security guard work. And that was an important foundational issue for us as we were creating this event security ANSI standard which is the importance of not letting things get to the point where they required the intervention of traditional security. So, you know, Just that Just funny, because
0: that's, that's exactly the same with stuff backstage, you know, by taping things down and checking them and inspecting them and, and making sure everybody knows how they work, you, in essence, at least reduce the likelihood that something's going to go wrong. It's the same, same de-escalation, but in a totally different phase. Uh, just to remind everybody, this is part of the ESTA Technical Standards Program. You can Google ESTA Technical Standards, and it'll come up. And we will uh, try to put a link to the published documents in the show notes so that you can look those up. So, Steve, one of the things that, that people come up to me and talk to me about when they, they see me, that's like, I just have to tell you about this situation. And, and frequently, it's, it's people f- uh, falling. Uh, a lot of times they know I work in a theater, so they're like talking about people falling off of the stage or into the uh, orchestra pit. Uh, so that comes up a lot. Um, and I think that is still, a, I think it happens all the time because many people come up to me with a story. I think it, it is, it doesn't catch the news, right? Because these are smaller Smaller places, smaller stages, you're falling from two and a half feet or three feet instead of six or nine feet. So it's less likely, you know, a lot of times the people in these spaces are volunteers. So, you know, OSHA is not applicable. Um, That is not me saying that we shouldn't prepare things for volunteers, not even close. OSHA cares about workers. That's what the whole point of the legislation is for, Um, the event safety lines. We want everybody to be safe, regardless of if you're getting paid to be there or not.
1: Podcast (laughs) listeners, you have just heard a giant caveat. Danielle (laughs) says something, realizes, ooh, that's not good the way it came out. (laughs) Furiously, that was fun. (laughs) It like,
0: you know. OSHA is great and it's got a lot of good things in it, but it is uh, is based on workers and you know oh, OSHA's I,
1: Christmas present coming their way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, uh, so I I think there there's still some some thought work and practice that and education that needs to go out not just to big touring productions but at, at all levels of the industry. Um. The and a corollary to that is also people come up to me, Steve, and they talk to me about how to use an orchestra pit safely and how to use lifts safely. And there's all sorts of training that you can do on lifts, but that they're, they're frequently coming to me and there that there's the the never ending question about fall restraint in a. In a single man left, and I'm not gonna go. That's not what today's pod is about, people. Um, and I am not a subject matter expert on that anyway. <laughs> this comes but with a lot of But If you are podcast
1: Steve. listeners, yeah. reach out to Danielle. We, no,
0: we uh, I, I know a few, many, many long conversations on the topic. Um, but but that those more normal quote unquote issues are still here. There's still things that we should think about and address because I think people are still, still have questions about them and people are still falling off the edge of the stage. (laughs) So that's one of mine.
1: And I think it's, it's so funny because the situation of fall hazards is so ubiquitous. I was on a stage giving a presentation Monday at a, lovely convention center. And, you know, if you've seen me present, you know that I'm walking around, I'm talking with my hands, I'm engaging with the audience, which is to say, I'm not particularly paying attention to where my feet are. And I tend to stand right at the edge of the stage. And so at one point I looked down at my own feet and realized there was no tape at the edge of the stage. It was just a disappearing edge, like a nice swimming pool, right? And I didn't want to call them out, and I'm not intending to do that now either, but rather to point out that even in very well-run spaces, we miss stuff. And you know, laying down some brightly well, colored and gaff I would tape, say that
0: edge marking is is not is not the norm you would think it is. Yeah. Um, I've been many, many places that had none at all or only had it in very specific places. Um, and for me, it's one of the simplest things we can do to at least reduce people falling off that edge. Um, oh. It's in, it's inexpensive.
1: <laughs> I mean, talk about low-hanging fruit and, you know, talk about ubiquitous. Daniel, you will remember one of the things that we did before opening doors for an event safety summit a few years ago, was we ourselves laid down gaff tape because to be the areas... clear,
0: I lay down gaff tape all the time. <laughs> well, and and to, be
1: clear, don't. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, I don't. To be clear, yeah, I call out people. I call out people who don't mark the edges of things. Uh, <laughs> and yet, we were all down on our hands and knees marking the edges of things that people were going to be walking around. And again, it was a very well-run facility by people who have good intentions and are careful about their very specific crafts.
0: Yeah, I also think there's an ownership thing. There are some... hmm, So there are some performance groups that don't want edge marking. They think it's distracting. So a a lot of times I would say the... It's like the who's responsible thing. A lot of times edge marking falls on the client so to, to speak. at least request it um, if not to uh, do it themselves because the the venue or the production company may not be assuming that you want it. So that's also, you know, everybody, it's one of that, like the, the meme of spider, all the Spider-Man's pointing at each other. It's like, whose job is it to do that? <laughs> um, my point is, Hey, if you want edge marking, somebody say something. Be no matter where you are in the production uh, realm. Uh, I would say another really common thing, Steve, that I hear is people saying, "How do I convince my boss, administration, client, whatever, that safety is worth doing?" So, how to sell? How to sell the safety? Um, and we've definitely talked about that a bunch of different ways in the past, but that continues to be something that people are coming to me and, and asking about.
1: Segue something else that people have talked to me about, and probably this is me instigating the conversation as much as anything else, is about event medical care. Um, and an area of particular interest for me is harm reduction. So, last month I attended a conference called the Mass Gathering Medicine Summit. Um, you know, shout out to our friends, and it was terrific. Um, an event staffed with MDs and EMTs, gosh, I felt safe and well cared for there. You know, if anybody had any kind of issue, I mean, they could do anything from CPR to surgery and nothing left out in between. And I think that that's really important for event professionals to understand event medical care, um, not only because more and more substances are becoming more and more legal in more and more places. which you know, for what little it's worth, personally, I am fine with, but also because we know, back to the reasonable foreseeability issue, we know that people in certain circumstances are going to engage in using whatever substance is, you know, reasonable for that event. And if we know that, then it becomes incumbent on us and I'm intentionally using a non-legal word there because I'm not ready to do the legal analysis on this podcast, but it becomes incumbent on us to provide care which will support people through the experience that we can foresee them having. And I think that more and more, I'm seeing medical care become more aligned with the experiences that people are having at events. Um And i like that you know i'm not a judgmental person i don't think there's much place for that in the world of live events we take people as we find them and i like that medical care seems to be improving at least in my view more broadly to become more consistent with the way people our guests are experiencing their events and danielle i know that you're seeing it more from a production side about people getting enough rest, um, people having um, their mental health taken care of. And to me, it seems like there are several pieces that while they're working somewhat independently, both front of house, more my focus and back of house, more Danielle, your focus, it seems like there is more attention to people's physical and emotional needs even in an industry based on uh, not having any of those needs at all, just kicking <laughs> back and having fun. And yet yeah. we are not immune from any of the things that happen in the rest of life. And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's positive.
0: That is it's, it's, you know, one of the things before we started recording, we were talking about um, the overwork that happens during busy times of the year, especially with uh stage crew going from one gig to another in multiple venues. So you may not, personally be working them for more than 10 to 12 hours, which (laughs) is already a lot, but then they're going and working a strike somewhere else or let out somewhere else, or they're loading in at five in the morning somewhere else. You know, it's all those cumulative things. Um, But I will say we're thinking about talking about it. Now we're, we're trying to encourage people to make the choices that they need to make. Um, And hopefully, you know, we're moving towards a better a better outcome. I definitely feel better at the end of this year. I hate even saying that, even though we're almost to the end than I did last year. Like last year at the end, I was like, I cannot do this again.
1: (laughs) You mean personally?
0: Yeah. Just because it was the year before was so hard between just the complete lack of staffing that was available and um, a bunch of the restrictions on the events while Absolutely on point and reasonable, really hard to work with. you know, it was hard to work a bunch of hours in a face covering, especially a real face covering it was it was hard to deal with crowd management issues for that same issue and uh breaks and extra ventilation, all those extra things that were added on top of it it was it was really hard by the time we got to the end of twenty twenty two and we're you know obviously coming out of all of that at that point it was um this year has been better <laughs> yeah. I, and this I, should I feel... have been fun oh in an exhausting way
1: <laughs> well i think we said this on our last pod and we were talking about the event safety summit but my goodness it was nice to be with other people you know it's like friends friends without you know screens around them you know danielle <laughs> i love looking at you on my computer but it's a lot more fun to just be in the same be place. in the
0: same place yeah <laughs>
1: Which which is kind of, you know, isn't that the theme for our whole industry? You know, it's more fun to be together. Get out of your living room, people. Buy a ticket. Go somewhere. Buy a
0: ticket. Go to the show. (laughs)
1: Yeah. You know, be in the room where it happens.
0: Well, now I'm going to be singing that all day. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else on your list, Steve?
1: Yeah. So I have one last item on my list. Um. We are not divorced from the rest of society in the world of live entertainment. I often wish that we were, but we're not. Um, And so I have had clients who operate uh, public accommodations, so venues, um, talking to me about the First Amendment, um, talking to me about what, what expression can be permitted, Um, what level of protest must be tolerated, um, whose sensitivities should be honored, whose um, are not to be honored. And I just gave a presentation on that a few days ago. It is, in some respects, it's difficult because I don't want to tell people, no, your concern is simply not one which society can handle right now, um, so I don't say that because it's not really so. But in many respects, it's a fairly cut and dried conversation in the United States. So I'll, I'll do the cut and dried version just so that you can hear it, podcast listeners. Um, if you work in a venue which is publicly operated, sorry, publicly owned, doesn't matter who operates it, publicly owned. So if you're in the, you know, state, you know, venue, you know, state performing arts venue, you are subject to the First Amendment to the United States Constitution, which prohibits government from abridging speech. And because you are working in a government venue, your venue cannot turn away um, groups or performers uh, based on the content of their message. And you know over the last several months we have had a lot of protest based on the content of people's message and if you are a publicly owned venue you cannot distinguish you know say i'm willing to allow you know this artist to perform from our stage but not that artist because we don't like what they have to say under the first amendment to the US constitution distinctions between such artists have to be what's called content neutral doesn't mean that you can't make distinctions just means you cannot distinguish them based on their content so so
0: if you are going to allow shows like the wiggles then disney on ice assuming you can do ice is also the same thing now are there this is going to seem like a stupid question but are there are there ways you can turn down events that don't hit the the first amendment thing it's because it would be too much of an impact on the location
1: yes and that that is certainly one of the legally viable options so let's say for the sake of argument that there is some group that wants to host an event you know at you know schlobotnik university the state university of south carolina um <laughs> Daniel, you didn't know about Schlubotnick, but I they're never heard big of competitors.
0: But 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 uh, Disney on Ice is coming, and they want to flood all the parking lots around the thing and, and put it, make it all ice.
1: Right. For example, so that that creates a hazard, um, and hazards require hazard mitigation. So if the mitigation that you would do would be dramatically different, meaning more expensive then the hazard mitigation that you would do for the Wiggles, which is not going to ice your parking lots.
0: They're not going to ice my parking lots. You can still park every car nearby.
1: Then you pass along the cost to, in this case, our hypothetical Disney on ice. And if the price is very high, then our hypothetical Disney on ice will probably go someplace that isn't going to charge them as much. So, you know in a more reality-based scenario. Yeah, I
0: picked those examples because I think that no one would believe that either of those groups are really controversial or difficult. So please don't at me about Disney on Ice. No, no, we we love Disney on
1: Ice. (laughs) We we have Disney friends. Nothing bad about Disney. Or the Wiggles, by the way. Or
0: the Wiggles, yeah. Again, Um, picking examples that don't have politics associated. Right, And,
1: and I'm not going to, you know, mention one side or the other or any particular group, but if there is some group that you know is going to be controversial, meaning they're going to draw um, protesters or, you know, however, raise security issues, then you have to respond by having more security, and that's a pass-along cost. So it may be that the pass-along cost for your venue is so high as to be prohibitive for that particular group if that happens to be consistent with your preferred outcome, uh, it's still a constitutionally permitted result. So, you know, that is actually how it works. Um, I will tell you another way, briefly, which is people are sloppy, um, and sometimes that's forgivable, but often it's not. So if, for example, the name on the license agreement does not happen to match the name on the insurance policy, you're not going to bring in any group, not even the Wiggles, if they're uninsured. So really, you just have to be as careful nowadays in our more polarized, inflamed environment. You have to be as careful now as you ever did before. It's just that the results that can come of your careful reading and insistence on your rules, the results may be a little different because they may yield outcomes that are more suited for today's polarized world. I don't think that's bad either. Uh, I think insisting on enforcement of your rules is what you should do. It's why you have rules. So I'm not saying anything here that I think is dramatic or wild in any way. If you have, (laughs) I've said this in many contexts, the best case scenario and the worst case scenario regarding rules are very close to each other. The best case scenario is have a rule, make the rule clear, tell everyone what your, what, what your rule is, enforce your rule. That's the best case scenario. The worst case scenario, have a rule, tell everyone what your rule is. <laughs> Don't enforce your rule. That's the worst case scenario. So really these challenging times that we're living in, in the sense of polarization and heated political discourse, if you're in a publicly owned venue. And you do have to deal with that. If you're in a privately owned venue, you don't. Um, hint to Harvard, MIT, and the University of Pennsylvania, First Amendment did not apply to any of them. So that those are some really smart people who gave really terrible, totally unnecessarily terrible tests. They
0: gave some very university-speak answers in a situation where they did not need to.
1: Oh, yeah. Anyway,
0: we're... we're But the point is, for you (laughs) podcast
1: listeners, speech is one of the cherished rights in our nation, but it is inconvenient and uncomfortable. Sometimes the things that make us feel validated and happy can also make us feel ostracized and imposed upon. It is, you know, it's the rough transaction of living in a constitutional democracy. So- you know, I wish I had something that would make everyone feel better. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, I wish I had something that would make everyone feel better, but I don't. Um, it is simply a matter of recognizing the situation that we're in, having rules, enforcing rules. That is that is always your best outcome. That's my my top 10 list for 2023.
0: So so my last one is is both a a, a call to arms and, and a short story. Um, my sister, who does not live in the same state, part of the country, anything that I live in, uh, she this year called me and said, I went to this thing and I had to call and tell you about it. And so um I'm gonna now tell all you about it. She said it was it was one of these avant-garde found space dance performances. And for one of the for one of the pieces, they moved the audience into a hallway, uh, and they had they brought stools that were in front of the exit doors. They'd covered some of the, they'd covered all the lights, and they had a performer in sort of a flowy thing dancing around a table with one candle on it. So they have blocked the emergency exits, they have actual fire, and they're in a stairwell, which is not at all a place of public assembly. Um, So, you know, uh, my sister has listened to me rant often enough that she felt (laughs) that I I definitely needed this story. Um, And I did. I was like, that was amazing and terrible all at the same time. So I encourage you all to not just Think about the big events that you participate in, but think about the small ones as well, because there's plenty of available um, storytelling, but more importantly, there's uh, there's opportunities for improvement at all levels. Um, that, that dance teacher probably only need one person to say, should we really block the exit doors with chairs? I mean, because if they'd been standing in the, at least they wouldn't have had obstructions in front of the exit sign and the doorway, or, or say, hey, LED candles are amazing these days. <laughs> you know, so, so many options that would have been small. So my friends, as we move into 2024, uh, take that story forward and, and think about the small ways that you can have a huge, huge, huge impact on other people's life safety at events. So on that note, if you want to reach out to us, our email address is podcast at eventsafetyalliance.org. Our website is eventsafetyalliance.org. Follow us on social media. And hey, personal favor, what we want for our holiday gift presents this year is, hey, could you go and like, rate, and review our podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and whatever podcatcher you use? It helps people find the pod. Uh, also, feel free to just share the pod with, with people who you think might get a, a chuckle out of it or, or a good lesson. Anyway, happy holidays. Stay safe. Happy holidays. See you next year.